Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 12th Row Podcast. I am your host, as always, Josh Baskin, and I am joined by Will. Will, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I'm doing great. More soccer means more happiness, bud. Yeah, well, uh, for this week, there's uh, not too much soccer going on. We're in the middle of an international break. However, with not as much soccer on the TV right now, we will be bringing you your full load for uh, soccer when it comes to what's going on uh, in the international scene. We're going to be talking about uh, a few surprises throughout some leagues here. Uh, And by that, I mean we're going to be taking you through the Premier League, Serie A, and La Liga and talking about the teams in first place. Uh, And then uh, after some of that, we're going to touch on some Premier League relegation, but Besides that, a little shorter episode than last time. I know we had a, a pretty long episode last time, but Will, I'm ready to get into this week's episode. If you are, man, we've got a we've got a good one as always. Yeah, let's kick it off with some some international business, bud. Yeah. So to start off, we have uh, some international games played so far today, um, with the Nations League uh, coming up on Saturday. Uh, it is international break time, which isn't always necessarily the, the most fun for us soccer viewers, but there's a lot of things going on right now that uh, have a lot of stipulations toward their club teams and, and what's going on there as well. And like I said, we'll get into that in a little bit here, but I want to start off first. Well, we saw a friendly today between the World Cup winners, France and Finland. Now, uh, when you're looking at this game on paper or when you're looking at it from afar, you're going to say, eh, France, easy win. However, we see a Finland 2-0 victory here. Um, when we when we take a look at, at the French squad, Will, I mean, it, it by any means was not a, a second or weakened team. I know you maybe didn't have Griezmann and Conte start, but you still had Pogba. Uh, you still had Larice, I believe, in goal. Uh, you had Longley back there. Uh, you had Martial come off the bench. Will, is this a worry for France, or is this kind of a, 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 a we'll brush it aside? You know, I think you have to take it in two pieces. One, they were coming off of a, a very condensed club schedule. Everybody who's involved in this game has come off of, you know, games every two, three days. Trading sessions usually not as often as, as you want. Um, they had probably 36 hours, realistically, to even hang out with each other and get back in the swing of things. Um there's probably some complacency in the squad coming back, um, but I think using this friendly at home, it should raise some alarm bells. Boys, we're not done. You know, we have, we have work to do, uh, and we need to get back at it if we want to remain top of the of the nation's league chart and rolling into the new Euros 2021. Uh, a result like this is going to be damaging for any campaign. Yeah, and uh, excuse me on the Loris there. It was actually uh, Steve Mondanda in goal. But uh, looking at the lineup here too, you had uh, Ben Yedder and Drew up front. You had uh, Marcus Turam, who I'm happy to see is, is getting a, a stint here in the French side. Uh, on the left side, you had Pugba in the middle. Uh, Musa Sissoko, I know you're big on him. Uh, Luca Dean at left back. So like we're saying, uh, an, a very strong team still. You have Varane, Griezmann, and Martial come off, uh, come. Uh, on the bench, off of the bench, excuse me. Uh, and I mean, you saw Kingsley Coman, Corentin Tolisso, Lucas Hernandez. I mean, very, very quality players here. And I also think it, it makes sense into, uh, or, or it contributes to the game, like I said, uh, up here on Saturday. It's going to be Portugal versus France uh, for UA, uh, UEFA Nations League. Uh, now, Portugal in first with 10 points, France are in second with 10 points, and then um, there's Sweden and Croatia in there as well. Um, now, 
they both, like I said, are first and second in that group and should likely go through in that group. But like you said, well, this it's not over yet for France. I mean, if they they get a loss versus Portugal, it's going to come down to uh, their their next or their last two games in that group. Uh, and like I said, Sweden and Rak- Sweden, I'm thinking of Rakitic. Sweden and Croatia are two uh, difficult opponents as well. So you don't want to see a, a snowball effect here. Uh, I think for France uh, on Saturday, they're playing a Portugal who just beat Andorra 7-0. You saw Ronaldo score, Jao Felix score, Renato Sanchez score, uh, Pedro Neto score, so on and so forth. So Portugal's off and firing right now, and France is going to have to come out and be at their World Cup best if they want to get a result here. And hopefully, you know, normally as they should, keep their place in that Nations League top first or second spot there. Um, but we'll move on from, from France and those games. Uh, hopefully Finland can pick up some results for themselves as well. I know kind of only led by Timu Puki uh, of Norwich, so I don't know about too much there. But I want to get on to this next game here, Will, on Sunday. It is USA versus Wales. Now, from from the Wales side, uh, the player that's screaming off your name uh, off, the, off the team sheet is, of course, Gareth Bale. Um, however, there's, there's a lot of uh, promise here from the U.S., and, and I'm surprised to say that scene is that two years ago, Will, we were in a position where no one was in any means to say anything about the national team. Um, so with the, with the call-up, uh, there was uh, a lot of youngsters making uh, the call-up, and I'm very happy to see that. For some uh, household names, I mean, you have Christian Pulisic, of, or Christian Pulisic, of course, uh, Weston McKenney of Juventus, the center midfielder who's been there pretty much uh, since Pulisic has been along. You have John Brooks in the back. Uh, remember, he scored the goal against Ghana to beat them 2-1 in the 2014 World Cup. He plays with Wolfsburg. You have Tyler Adams, a defensive midfielder out of RB Leipzig, who's a young and emerging talent who has scored in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid recently as well. You have Conrad De La Fuente, a 19-year-old that is emerging through the Barcelona youth ranks. He's the only American player to come through the Barcelona youth ranks. Uh, Serginho Dest at right back. He was formerly of Ajax, is now the first team right back for Barcelona. Uh, and, and so that's just to name a few there, Will. Uh, Giovanni Reina as well. Uh, he's starting for Borussia Dortmund now and linking up with Erling Holland very well. A lot of good promise here, Will. Are you expecting anything from this national team with so many young players? Or are you looking at this as this is our best that we've looked in a while and and I want to roll with it. What are your kind of your what are your thoughts here on this? Yeah, so unfortunately I actually got news that that Pulisic had, had to go back to Chelsea. Uh he pulled out of the squad with a not, Yeah, not I knew he ready. wasn't playing, yeah. but he was still going. Yeah. Right, he he returned this morning, I believe. Um he left camp, but Rain is supposed to start and I tell you what, he is the most exciting player I've seen out of the US for not, probably ever. Um that kid can play. And Since Dempsey and Donovan's young age, at least. I, I'd say even better than that. Um, he's, he's got the wits about him to, to really make a top-level player. Um, so I'm really excited to see it. I am a little hesitant. All these guys are coming over from their European clubs. They obviously scheduled this Wales meeting in order to play uh, their, their young prospects coming from Europe with the travel ban. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how this... This group gets together and, and works together um, under such short notice. Uh, let's not take for granted. Wales is still going to be a good a good national side. They're missing gigs, their coach, after legal ramifications. Um, but I think this U.S. squad can build up to do very well in the next competitive tournament. It just depends on how long COVID goes. If COVID goes until you know April, May, 
and these kids don't get to enact or uh, intermingle with some of the, the veterans of the squad. Even though, you know, we're all used to hearing, ah, the U.S., again, we lose, we're out of the World Cup, you know, all disappointment, all down and dreary. Even if those veterans can come in and, and let these kids know, hey, you're playing at top clubs, but we need to pick this national team up out of the gutter a little bit. I think that's going to be very, very important going forward. If, if, they, if those two, I guess, uh, age groups cannot intermingle before the next major tournament, I don't think we're going to see much progress in terms of results. We'll see progress in terms of talent, but it'll be something like a rebuilding process where we have to actually take a step back. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot, especially with the kind of last thing you mentioned there. There's not really much veteranship as we're used to seeing with this national team. And and like you said, that that's okay because, you know, the players will develop well uh, as the, by themselves, but maybe collectively, like you said, as a team, uh, we, we might not be as solid. I, I was just doing some quick research uh, before we were talking about the U.S., and I was looking at the national team back in the 2014 World Cup, and, and by no means, I mean, even all, by no means did we have the talent in the in the squad versus just looking at the talent of this 23-24 man roster. I mean, we had guys like Graham Zussi, uh I mean, uh, Jeff Cameron in the back, who, who's okay, but was very, very mistake prone. Uh, an old Demarcus Beasley leading the line was Clint Dempsey. Jermaine Jones was, was solid as a defensive midfielder with Bradley, but they're there really wasn't much there, and, and like you said, we're, we're seeing a lot of talent here with this national team, and that's something that should be credit, or, or we should give credit to. I mean, the, the, we've came such a, a somewhat far away talent-wise from, from 2018 to now, and, and I think that, that will make a huge difference. Maybe not this or the next upcoming tournament, like we've said, not a lot of time to get to know each other and get that chemistry in, and there's there's going to be some growing pains most definitely with a young team and not being or not having a ton of veterans so uh, good points for that will um and i know i touched on wales but wales is bringing a, a very good lineup as well i mean they're bringing ethan Ampadu with them uh the chelsea uh and rb leipzig center back they're bringing aaron Ram- ramsey from juventus and formerly of arsenal they're going to have Harry Wilson and David Brooks, two solid Premier League players. Chris Meepham, a good solid Premier League player. Ben Davies. Uh, and, of course, like we said, Gareth Bale and, and Dan James of, of Manchester United. So uh, And Dylan Levitt thrown in there as well for us, Will. So that's nice to see, too, uh, for United's youth. But by no means it's going to be an easy matchup like some of the games are for the U.S. in these friendlies, whether it's, you know, Scotland or, or whoever it may be. Sorry for that, Will. Um <laughs> But and the 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 last uh, team I want to talk about here in the international stage is, is England. Uh, big news coming out of the England camp today: Joe Gomez went down with a with a non-contact injury, and and that's what's scary. Uh, uh, it was reported that Gomez went down with a leg injury. No one was around him. And since we've we were talking about Liverpool last week, and and we don't like to here as much, but it's important for them that losing another first team center back leaves them only really with Joel Matip and uh. And Andy Robertson, who's who picked up a knock for a City and is going to have to captain Scotland this week. Uh, you've lost Fabinho, Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk. The list can go on and on. But this is uh, huge for Liverpool uh, in a negative way, uh, losing, like I said, another solid center back, probably your, your next best center back behind Van Dijk, and, and going to be a huge blow for them. Will, what does this mean in terms for, for the Liverpool squad when they return? 
Their first game is going to be uh, against Leicester, who we'll get to here in a little bit. But I mean, yeah, a non a non contact injury is is pretty kind of the worst thing you want to hear if you're from if 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 you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it before they had the depth of a one foot swimming pool, and you know, I, it just got a lot shallower. <laughs> um, they have absolutely nobody to throw back there now. Um, I guess you could see maybe a Hendo or a Milner sliding in one of those outside back rolls, maybe sliding somebody in, but you have to be absolutely shivering in your boots uh, coming up against a good Leicester side who make their money on countering and exposing individual errors. Um, but I think I think England will be okay. They have the cover that they need. I think Liverpool is, is what's in trouble, and you know they just cannot shake this injury bug. Um, but you know, moving on from Liverpool, everybody's going to have an injury bug sometime this season. Um, one thing I was going to mention to you about, about England is the news that came out today saying Nick Pope was going to start. I was going to ask, what do you think about, you know, retrospectively looking at Dean Henderson's move to stay at United? He's gotten two or three games. You know, I think he's had one shutout and he had a, a bad time in Istanbul. Not not at his fault, of course, but do you think his... His decision to stay at United and fight for that spot has cost him his his England sh- shirt. You know, I I don't know if it's necessarily costed him the England shirt. I think with England, they kind of consistently have this revolving door of goalies. Uh, you saw it when Joe Hart was there; he wasn't all. I mean, for a while, he was the first choice, but I mean, compared to other international teams, I mean, De Gea is. I mean, before De Gea's took on taken on this five to six year plus reign at Spain, it was Casillas for ten years, and and you see that throughout all of these squads. I mean, France has Loris as their captain because he's been there since twenty twelve. the The list can go on. I mean, Germany, Manuel Neuer, USA, Tim Howard, and it seems like with England, there's never really this consistent number one starter. And referring back to Dean Henderson and hindering him, I don't think so because I think he's still has a shot a very solid shot at united and i know that De Gea is back and finding his form with united which could mean that henderson takes a little more serious look out if he does want to get first team club football which will then of course impact his his national league status or his his national team status but i i think it's a good choice to go with pope here um i really like nick pope a lot i remember when uh tom heaton was the talk of the town uh, because uh, and then he got hurt, and then Nick Pope is even better, so we'll just get rid of Tom Heaton. Uh, that, that was a few years ago, but you can't rely on Pickford anymore, clearly, and you're not going to rely on Henderson right now as a backup. So I think based off of that, you're going to go with the guy who gets every Premier League minute for the past, what, three, four years, pretty much, yeah. uh, Nick Pope, who's who's a safe hand. He's not, like we've said before, all three can be better or worse than one another at, at any given time. But I think with Pope, the fact that he has Ben Mee and James Tarkowski, two highly underrated center backs in the Prem, a very solid pairing. And last year uh, was second for, for shutouts, and he's always been a very good keeper for, for fantasy because of his shutouts and his saves. And I think it it's the smart move by, by Southgate here. He's the safe hand. He knows what I feel. I feel like you pretty much always know what you're going to get out of Pope. I think he's less prone to mistakes than maybe um, than Pickford and Henderson sometimes, just because maybe of Henderson's youth a little bit um, and and Pickford's now inconsistency. 
So I, I like this. I, it's a safe move from Southgate. I don't think there's going to be any England fan that is disappointed or upset with the goalie selection. And and I'm, I'm assuming you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. Pickford's got to go. I, you know, you could even argue that he should have been left left at home. Just give him the weeks off. He's had a rough rough start to the season. Just let him out and, and you know, kind of air him out a little bit. Bring in, you know, there's there's a ton of goalkeepers throughout the England um uh, system that they could have brought in and just give them some time away, treat it almost as like an injury and just, you know, get the media away right. from them, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Pope is a great choice. I'm excited to see this little battle within the squad uh, to who can take this shirt in the Euros because man, looking at this squad, the amount of talent and the amount of talent in youth is incredible for the, for the upcoming tournaments. I mean, Jude Bellingham at 17 is going to be getting a, a cap and, um, you got multiple guys under the age of 23 who are just excelling at club football level, um, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Tammy Abraham, Marcus Rashford. All of them are just setting setting the world on fire, um, and and you can't you can't do anything but just hope they continue to to plow on and and finally give this England team a run at something. I know they had a run in the World Cup, but let's let's be real here. They, they didn't come up against opposition there. They they squeaked through a lot of results. It wasn't a lot of flashy play. It wasn't, you know, the, the kind of football you expect from from an England side. But this team that will be watching this weekend and, and for the coming months months up towards this Euros twenty twenty one, we're going to see some serious soccer uh, played, and I think they're going to put on a show. Yeah, when I look at the talent across England, it's very scary to how Germany was back in their 2012 through 16, you could say, dominance. Yeah, I mean, at any point point within, I'd say, 2014 to 16, Germany could have played, or maybe even 17, Germany could have played three teams with all first-team quality and and honestly was still better than most national teams. And that's what France is now. Right, we're, and that's we're what France about is. Lost to Finland, and they have a squad that could take on their other squad in a, a World Cup final. Exactly, and and like you were saying, even if you go look at the under twenty threes, under twenties, nineteens, eighteen, seventeens, I mean, the talent is just littered everywhere in, in in these England youth teams, and it's it's a little funny because. England, I remember growing up and, and seeing England get knocked out of these tournaments. I would look at the, the lineups and I'd be like, these are all the best players in the best league for the most part. You know, at that time, it was very English dominated. Right. Uh, at, le- at least the Premier League was. You're starting to see a little diff- a little more, uh, what's the word really? Uh, it's not as English anymore, I guess you could say, to, to be completely honest. Right. It really isn't. And... During those days when we were growing up, you know, the the oh five, six, seven, eights, I mean, that's those some of those England players are they're not just any sort of, you know, Nick Pope style players. I mean, you're looking at, at John Terry's and Rio Ferdinand's yeah. and Frank Lampard's, Stephen Jarrett's. I mean I mean Wayne Rooney. I mean, these are guys that during the time were getting in the team of the years before La Liga took over. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's crazy to see that now you're starting to see it again everywhere in England. But the, the this is the last thing I'll touch on with England is it's it, it unfortunately could be the same old story again where they see this this great youth talent and you mentioned Jude Bellingham I'm I'm a little worried for what they did with Theo Walcott back in 2006 they gave this 
this kid that just emerged at Southampton, a, a, a World Cup cap, and it every, that expectation of him ever since. Yeah, he had the few good years at Arsenal, I'd say up until about 2013 when he got his injury. Yep. Which, you know, seven years is solid, of course, but the, the heights that he was being looked up to, Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler, and, and I mean, this, that, and the other. It, I mean, I think the player's a little more prepared now back then, but I, I don't know if I want to see Jude Bellingham necessarily in a World Cup at 17. I mean, yeah, it would be nice, but but what would it do for him? Right. You know, that that's kind of my thinking, and, I, and by no means do I think he can't do it. I mean, he, he took a club like Birmingham at 17, and and completely rose, uh, brought them back all the way up to where they needed to be in the eyes of, of football fans. I mean, it, like I said, it's not that he definitely can't do it. I just don't know. You have the talent a little bit older. You might as well see if it works there too first. I mean, maybe the Euros is a good test to see, you know, who who can perform on a stage like this with that youth talent because Southgate's going to have a lot of tough decisions to make here. But I mean, he is he does not have an easy job here for these upcoming Euros and World Cup here. I mean, because if anything, the the guys are still getting better, of course, and, and more are coming in. Right. So that's our that's our little England talk there. Um, we're gonna move on. We're gonna jump into our main topic. Will and I want to take you through the first place teams in La Liga, Syria, and uh, England, the Premier League. And the the first team we're gonna start off with here is Real Sociedad. Now, Real Sociedad are first in the La Liga table. They are six two and ones. Uh, they are on twenty points. Um, for, well, uh, for those that don't know Sociedad, um, they are kind of a Europa League at borderline Champions League contender. Normally, um, they have solid players that normally kind of get picked up by the Real Madrid's, Atletico Madrid's, Barcelona's. Um, what some of the notes I have here about Sociedad uh, so far, they seem to play that four-one-four-one or four-three-three, with a bit of four-four-one-one sprinkled in. Um, when I take you through this lineup here, at striker you've got two solid options: Alexander Isaac. We've talked about him last week, the young Swedish forward, and you have William Jose, a veteran from uh, that's Brazilian, who's not really as pacey or quick and mobile as Isaac, but a good target man. Uh, but really, Will and everyone else, the, the star in the squad is Mikhail Oyarzabal. He's the 23-year-old left winger um, who is valued at 66 million euros right now. He's got six goals and two assists in nine La Liga games, and he's kind of the starlet of the team. He's kind of the one that uh, the team looks for or goes to if they're down or, or need a spark. Um, they've brought in David Silva, of course, who's ran the midfield alongside Mikel Moreno, who's having a resurgence from Dortmund and surprisingly Newcastle, if you can remember that. Um, and also on the on the outside wings, Will, some familiar faces here. Adnan Yanezai, formerly of Manchester United, putting in a, a very solid shift on the right wing, swapping with Portu, the Spanish winger who's been getting called up lately. Uh, really... Uh, the problem for Sociedad isn't necessarily attacking, it's defending. The only defender you'll you'll recognize is Nacho Monreal for the most part at left back from Arsenal. And in goal you have Moya from Atletico Madrid. Um, those are just, you know, some quick players, some quick stats there. Will, do you have any uh, notes on Sociedad that I haven't mentioned or that you, uh, you know, want to touch on as well? Oh, they're, they're just a hardworking team. Um, they remind me a lot of of some of those older English sides that you'd watch where 
they didn't always have the talent. Maybe like an old West Ham comes to mind, where you had Mark Noble sitting as that holding midfielder, and, and exactly like you said, it sprinkled four through three, but also a little four one four one industrial um, work ethic. Um, they're capable of keeping the ball against the lesser sides, and they're capable of sitting in and countering against against the bigger teams, and um, they're able to keep their players. I think that's what is the difference between them and somebody like a uh, like a real Betis or Granada or a Granada or a or a you know Valencia, Getafe, yeah, yeah. Any, any of those teams. They they weren't able to keep their players the last two or three years, but players like Ayazbrol. Um, and Isaac, and um, they have some youth products coming through the ranks. They they don't want to leave. Why would they? They're starting uh, for a for a decent sized club. Um, it's one of the most beautiful places in Spain. Uh, they're young. They're getting called up to their national teams. What what else could they want? Um, and I think I think they've really taken a team mentality to this and, and shown the world. Hey, you don't need to spend the most money to be sitting top of the La Liga. Yeah, and I think David Silva is really just the cherry on top for them. I think David Silva gives this team a whole nother level. And what I mean by that is I think with a team like Sociedad, you lose a lot of your games, uh, you know, through simple little mistakes. And I think David Silva coming in now as the captain, I mean, he's the player that, I mean, he's the player's player. I mean, I don't know anyone that, looks at Davin Silva's like, nah, don't really don't really don't really like him, don't really think he's all that great, this, that or the other. I mean, everyone wants to be a David Silva. I mean, just a, a, a pretty much just perfect veteran for them. A, a guy that allows them to, you know, see the game out a little more. Uh get, does a little less uh, you know, maybe running and facilitating than he maybe did at City, um and, and during his prime but it's just the knowledge and the brain and the presence of david silva that i think is just elevating this team to a whole nother level you saw it with manchester united and bruno fernandez when bruno fernandez came in he's saying i don't care that i'm the new guy this is my club and you see everyone else rise around him or somewhat recently not recently yeah. um and, and i think you're seeing that same thing here with, with the david with the real sociedad and the and that david silva effect i mean Miguel Moreno, like I said, having a resurgence. Guess who's next to him at right center mid? David Silva. When David Silva's at Cam, guess who's next to him at center mid? Mikel Moreno. You have Nacho Monreal, a defender from Arsenal who's who's a good servant, but I think he just adds that extra veteran and quality and maybe not as many mistakes, but maybe not as good of a, of a, a player as maybe some other options they have. Um, and, and I think that's great for them, honestly. They have Moya, who's a solid veteran in goal from Atletico Madrid. So, you know, he's been tested there as well with Oblak and, and Adan and, and others. So, really nice to see Sociedad up there. And, and I think a little bit, you got to give him credit, but I think, you know, to be at the top here, you got to have some other results falling your favor. I mean, you have Barcelona sitting in eighth, and you have Villarreal second in the table. You have you have Atletico Madrid in third and fourth, who, you know, dropped the game to Cadiz and Granada and this, that, and the other. So, like you said, Sociedad, they're taking care of business when they need to and others aren't, and you got to give them credit when credit's due there. So most definitely agree with you there, Will. We'll move on from Sociedad, though, unless you have any other topics or points you want to make. Do you? No, I think that sums well. That's, it's good to see another team on top of La Liga. Yeah, and I think we'll see a current theme here as well <laughs> with some of these other two teams because we're going to move on to the Serie A in Italy where we are going to be talking about uh, uh, AC Milan now. AC Milan, um, 
as you know, we, we mentioned them a little bit last week because we talked about Kings Laton. Um, Will, I'll let you take the role here with AC Milan and what you have first because I'm interested to hear what you have because I, I kind of talked about them a little bit last week. Yeah, we, we just got done with, with Sociedad so talking about you know the youth and the experience and the this is my club mentality and we're going to raise this, this up to the next level. And I don't think there's a better club out there that personifies this than, than AC Milan and their seemingly ageless leader of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, they're sitting... Top of the table, like you said, at 17 points. Um, in a league that has been much criticized for having only one team, um, but in recent years has really leveled out with Inter, Juve, Roma, Fiorentina. Maybe they've, they've sold some of their players Fiorentina, but they've gotten better. Lazio, they've all... They've all Atalanta, Atalanta have, of have course. been an elite team now. Yep. All those, all those teams have gotten better, made the league better, and out of this, AC Milan rises, and it's, it's incredible. They sit... Uh, five two and zero, um, and Zlatan. Like I said, five games, eight goals, and um, the player I actually really want to, you know, highlight because you know Ibra gets all the attention, um, as he should with with the goals. But Brahim Diaz coming over from Real Madrid, a young player who decided to leave City uh, because he wasn't getting the game time. He decided to go out on loan from Madrid because he wasn't getting the game time. He comes to Milan and he's just setting the place ablaze. Every time you watch him, he's nice and silky. He reminds you a lot of. Of a David Silva. David Silva. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, From the City Academy. And you can see. As well, Brahim. Yeah, you can see just what his talent level is. And AC Milan has a great way of matching 39 year old veteran poacher of Zlatan with a 21 year old, I believe, Brahim, who has a completely different skill set. And it is not only elevating them, but it is, is fascinating everybody around the world to watch them develop. What do you have on that? Yeah, I mean, you kind of you, you definitely hit some key points. Definitely, eight goals and one assist in five appearances in, in Serie A is pretty ridiculous. I don't care if you're 25 years old, if you're 40 years old, eight uh, to have nine contributions in five games in any league anywhere is is very good. Absolutely. Um, I mean, elite of the elite, which still shows you that he's there. Um, and, and what I think is helping Zlatan here is that he hasn't been needed in Europa League yet. Even though they're two zero and one, I mean they're they're going to get through in that group, and they don't necessarily need him. But I, I was as I was taking my notes, I was looking at the center attacking mids, the right mids, the left mids, and this is something that you see you touched on with Brahim, and this is why I think Milan is so so good right now. You have Hakan Kalinoglu, uh, Rafael Leal, and Brahim Diaz, uh, sometimes Salamakers, the young Belgium, twenty one years old. Uh, Leao, 20 years old, and Hakan, probably around 24, 25. And like you were saying, it's it's crazy to see this 39-year-old linking up with these 20, 21-year-olds. And it, it's get the ball to Zlatan and let him run, pretty much, and, and let him do what they need to do. They'll find they'll find Zlatan in the box. But you also have guys like Samuel Castellejo, who came from Villarreal, who's a very good winger. Ante Rebic, who was in the Croatia World Cup squad and playing well. Jens Peter Hogg, who's a... a a winger from Norway who Erling Holland has said is probably the next best best player on that team and has been praising AC Milan to play him more and, and he's very very good and and it's just that you have six or seven guys that can go through the midfield and I think that's massively important especially when it comes to your attacking options different creativity different chances different play styles 
the only thing that is hindering AC Milan is that their defensive mid and center midfielders with Kese, Tonali, and Benesser is very weak. They need a lot more depth there, and they especially need more depth in the defensive positions. My star for their team, though, however, is Teo Hernandez, the left back from France. He's the one I think that causes the most havoc down that left side, like you've seen with Alfonso Davies at Bayern. How crazy Bayern plays when Alfonso Davies is playing and boosting down that left side. It's basically a free goal for Lewandowski on a cross every time Davies bursts up that side. That's exactly what AC Milan do, except Teo Hernandez is actually scoring them rather than providing them. And in goal, you're set for the rest of your life. You've had Gianluigi Donnarumma there since he's 16, and now he's only 20. Well, I mean, he's still at... Uh, that depends on if he signs his contract. His contract yeah, is coming up. But, There's a lot of speculation in Italy. I'm, I'm anxious to see how that if, goes. If, you're, if I'm Donnarumma and I was born into this AC Milan side and starting at 16, and I'm now only 20, and I'm still the starter, I don't see why you give that up. That's true. That's very true. But... With, I mean, really, like I said, more defensive and center midfield help, and and more, and more, you know, defensive mid help. I think this this AC Milan team, definitely on on paper, not as talented as the teams in the 2011s and and 12s. You know, with Rabinho and Pato and, and all those guys Ronaldinho. and Ibra. Uh, yep, Ronaldinho and Ibra right. uh, to a certain extent. So, I mean, I, I love to see AC Milan on top of the table. I mean, I love seeing that red and white and black. Like, I mean, I, I miss them in the Champions League. I mean, they've had some of the most elite of the elite squads of all time, and it's sad to see that they've taken a little dip there. But I'm happy to see that they're on their way up. Um, any other thoughts from you on, on AC Milan, Will, before we move on to the Prem? Uh, it just it comes down to COVID and depth of squad. You've seen already Napoli's been hit with points deductions for covid violations you've seen a lot of teams being you know put under quarantine and stuff like that i know there's depth and youth amongst the squad but you know if if the teo hernandez or the ibra or if the donnarumma if those key players end up having an experience with with this similar to you know a lot of these pro athletes like ronaldo, ronaldo and and um and paul even what does their squad look like can they handle it? Can they handle the game congestion? Can they handle the pressure of, oh, you're top of the table now? Um, the hype in Italy is don't, going to be don't slip in, up. incredible. Yeah, of course, the media there is incredible. It just, I want to see the pieces fall for them so they can continue succeeding. If something happens similar to how you know Liverpool finds themselves you know, at sixes and sevens, I don't know if this AC Milan team stays top of the table. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I said, the depth is their biggest problem, and especially with COVID and all that, all the training minutes and stuff like that. It's it could uh it could fall for AC Milan, but we're not going to talk about that now. They're on 17 points, two clear of Sassuolo of all teams. Uh, maybe another topic for another day there. Yeah. Um, but we're going to move on to the Premier League, where uh, once again, will we are seeing a team on top of the table early on that is not supposed to be there. And I believe the last time that happened was 2016. And that was when Leicester City won the title. And what do we have here? A, a Leicester City sitting atop the Premier League table. Yes, it is just by one point. Yes, Tottenham and Liverpool are behind them on 17 and they're on 18. But that's not what we're worried about here, Will. We're seeing Leicester go into the international break. 6-0-2, 18 points. And it really will, something that I was talking to you before about the podcast, and I, and I couldn't wait to talk about Leicester, 
pretty much everything I have written down, good, bad, or negative, I have, but 2016 happened after it. And now what do I mean by that? When we take a look at this squad here, Will, we still see the same man up front, Jamie Vardy, eight goals, one assist, and seven Premier League appearances. You have behind, uh, like you did with the 2016 team, you had to have the, the two midfielders or the two stars behind you. With You had Riyad Mahrez on the right and Golo Kante in the middle. What, what are your comparisons here? You see uh, uh, Dennis Pratt, who came from Sampdoria, uh, the Belgium center midfielder wasn't playing too well, has now emerged as a attacking mid-box-to-box midfielder almost. You see uh, Yuri Tillemans, the Belgian midfielder who Will and I have been on since about 2017, looks a total, complete different player, is bossing the midfield for them. You see Nanfali's Mendy, a French replacement for Conte when Conte left for Chelsea, who seemed like he should have been let out on loan and never even brought back again is having a magic resurgence in the middle of the park. You have Harvey Barnes, the young winger, uh, the young English winger who we've talked about that cream of the crop wingers in the young in the young ages of England. He's one of them. He can play cam, he can play on the wing, he can play striker as we've seen him play against Arsenal this year already. He's playing well. And the the crazy thing here is well, the second best player or even the best player on this team before uh, COVID hit last year was by far James Madison. Now, James Madison came from Norwich to Leicester two years ago and, and was just a uh, really bright spark in the middle of the field. He's that creative midfielder that honestly a team like Arsenal are killing for. He would be a perfect player for them. But ever since his hip injury uh, last year during COVID and he came back, he's been kicked out of the squad. And it's crazy to see that you're starting to see a Leicester team with a little bit of depth. And that can be scary because from their 2016 season, Will, you know this, their depth was not good. Ojoa up front. You had Damari Gray, who was okay and is still there now. By any means, wasn't anything great. You have Chegi's Under coming in now from AS Rebo, who's gotten a goal or assist every time he's come on off the bench. Kalechi Ihianacho is a much better replacement, like I said to Ojoa last time in 2016. And when you look at the, the defense, it's funny because... They are not good defensively. They have Kaglar Soyuncu, the Turkish center back who emerged last year, who's a great signing from Freiburg. And the signing of possibly the summer, very underrated signing is Fofana, the center back, the French center back from Saint-Étienne, the 19-year-old, who's already been a great plug-and-play defender for them and is a difference maker. You have James Justin, the right, uh, right wing back on one side, and, and you, you're still getting minutes out of Christian Fuchs on the left back side. And when you're looking at it with Kasper Michael and Goal, you're thinking this is 2016 Leicester all over again. Now, Will, I want to ask you, how how probable is it that we can see another Leicester City 2016? And if we do see another Leicester 2016, what's going to have to, you know, improve or even stay the same here moving, you know, to the dark, dark the, the, the dog days of the Premier League here in, in December and January, where a lot of games are coming fast, a lot of cup and... and Europa League games. What are you? What are your thoughts for that? Oh yeah, I think if there is any time to take a bet on one of these size teams, it's this year. We've seen chaos. We've seen big teams under scrutiny. We've seen COVID come in the worst way possible. I mean, it spells out an underdog champion this year. Uh, I think Leicester has the tools to do it. They have a lot of guys coming back from from injury as well, including Ricardo Pereira, who before his injury was. Easily one of the oh, best. Oh, I totally forgot about him. One of the yeah. best right backs in the world. 
Um, yeah. Who I think is actually going to be the difference for Portugal in, in 2021, but that's a different topic. Um, Leicester have the tools if they can keep the main figures fit. They don't need to keep all the fringe players fit, but they need to keep the depth of that. They need to keep the right. fit. They need to keep Vardy fit. Schmeichel would be a huge loss in any circumstance. They need to keep those those role models who have already done it before, um, who already know the business of the Prem. Keep them fit, and I think this could be a team that goes right down to the wire. Yeah, and something here that we haven't mentioned with any team yet really is the manager. And when you look at 2016, you saw Claudio Ranieri when he was brought in. He was, oh, he's... He's not going to be anything. He was known as the former Chelsea manager that didn't make it. Now you're looking at a boy that, you know, you are very familiar with, Will, Brendan Rodgers, who has got this Leicester team in a different direction than pretty much really any other team in the Prem. And what do I mean by that? When you think of the big six, we talked about them a few weeks ago, Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, United. Leicester City are becoming that seventh team that is no longer, you know, out of the top six because they have now consistently been in this top four, five, six, seven Europa League, Champions League hunt for a a good while now. And it's funny because when Leicester won the title, it was this underdog story, of course, that any team can make it. But besides Leicester City... In the past four years, maybe with Burnley finishing in seventh, I haven't seen anything close to Leicester finishing in the top five last year and sitting atop the table again this year. Uh, do, do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I think Brendan Rodgers has made has made the difference. Um, while it kills me that he was at Liverpool before, his time at Celtic was fantastic. He, he led them to unprecedented success. And I think he could do the same here with Leicester. Now he's, he's argued with the board that they must keep players, they must keep funneling money into those into those mm-hmm. uh, rotation spots. Uh, they, they're improving their grounds, the, their training facilities, everything. Um, and they're giving him the tools, and he's got the know-with-all and, and the experience of how to grind out a championship run. Um, something that Ranieri had, but was never expected of him. I think it's now going to be expected, especially if they said top of Christmas. Face at top of Christmas, yeah. this will be expected to churn it out, grind it down. And and that's only because when they won the title, that's where they were at Christmas. Right. This isn't this isn't like a new expectation of them, which is funny. It's now if they're there, we know they can stay there. Right. I think he, he does he provides that that ace card that you need. You have you have the deck loaded, but you still need that ace card to get over the line. Mm-hmm. He he's got it within him to manage the part, the players properly. And even see something in a game where he needs to change the Harvey Barnes from left mid to cam, which would provide a 1-0 win or a 2-1 win rather than a 1-1 draw. He's got that in him to make this Leicester team pick up the extra 6, 7, maybe even 10 points that they'll need come the end of the season. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, we'll move away from Leicester, and we're, we're going to move on to a team here, Will, that we haven't mentioned before, and a team that I know you unfortunately don't want to mention, almost probably in the same breath as Liverpool. We are going to talk about Rangers. Now, Rangers, uh, Will, is going to take over on this, but Rangers, uh, a team from Scotland uh, that that is normally the first or second best team uh, consistently. Um, uh, Will is a Celtic fan, the main rival. Uh, of Rangers so Will I'm gonna let you take it away with Rangers I'll have some points here and there to to touch on but I'm gonna let you take the lead with this one yeah this is this has been a changing of the guard season 
Uh, Celtics going for 10 in a row in terms of titles. And well, I, they haven't even started yet. Um, we're, yeah, we're looking up at nine-point difference to the back of Rangers, 14 games played. Um, we're about halfway in the Scottish League as they only play 36 matches. Um, and Rangers is unbeaten. They've beaten Celtic at Celtic Park, which is unheard of. They're flying yeah. in the Europa League. They might not even need to play their first squad again um, to make it through that. Uh, they have Steven Gerrard at, at the helm, and he's just got this group of players firing at all cylinders. I mean, they're right back slash right mid, uh, James Tavernier. I mean, 14 games, 8 goals, 6 assists. Absolutely unheard of. Um, but it's down to the system, very much like Brendan Rodgers. Um, Gerrard's got them now, and he's got the experience now to take them over the line. I think it's going to be an incredible race. Now, I will say we need to pump the brakes. Last year as well, Celtic and, and Rangers went into about this time, about even. Celtic pulled away one comfortably, um, I believe by a 14-point margin, uh, to make it nine in a row. And if anything was to happen to this this Rangers squad, if there was a, a COVID test, if there was a anything like we've been talking, an injury, uh, even you know a poor run of form in Europa League or or too much commitment to, to game scheduling and and uh, congestion, it could flip on them. But they're going in the right direction right now to make the Scottish League competitive again, which I think is is great for that league in general. Um, we'll look past the eight 0 thrashing they just gave Hamilton. Uh, about the competitiveness, but um, at the very, very top, you have two very good teams who are competing in Europe consistently. Um, and they're finally raising back up from, from real dark days in the early part of this decade. So, uh, yeah, Steven Jarrett is doing a great job, but here's my question to you. Is he being groomed to take over from Klopp when Klopp finally reaches the end of his project? So I'm very surprised that you threw this question to me, Will, because this is something we talked about before, and I honestly wasn't thinking you were going to ask me. Uh, so I'm a little on the fly here. Um, I think it all depends on what Liverpool are going to do once this Salah, Mane, Firmino era ends. And and what I mean by that is when, when Klopp... I think Klopp will go when it's time that his you know sala mane uh you know van dyke what they're gonna they're not all super young they're 27 28 29 pushing it a little bit which is still another three or four solid probably even great years by by no means based off of the performances we've seen from these guys but once that era ends, and we and we kind of talked about it, and this is kind of what Arsenal is right now. What what do what are Liverpool gonna want to do? What's gonna be the signing? Because when they sold Coutinho, will for for Salah and Mane, I thought to myself, wow, they're they're getting rid of their best players so they can have Mane from Southampton and and Salah from Roma be the starters alongside Roberto Firmino, who's been a cam at Hoffenheim for three years. Yeah, and you you've seen it not just blossom but just explode the whole the whole football scene and that's what i think is going to be important is when is the right time to bring gerard in because klopp is already in the heights of liverpool as the 05 istanbul team and any other team you you can think of that that is in that 
high standard of Liverpool. And if I'm wrong, correct me on it. But Klopp with the Champions League and a, and a Premier League title is already up there with the legends of Liverpool, the Gerrards, so on and so forth. No, I agree. What, I think he's. Uh, I think there's got to be a coach right. that comes in between and fails. Right. So what is going to be the plan for Liverpool when Gerrard comes in? Are they going to be at the back end of this Fabinho and, uh, let me think here, Fabinho and Alisson? Because Alisson's still pretty young. You have Alisson, you have Fabinho, who's you know, 25 or 26, 27, Jota. who's a little younger. You have Jota. You have uh, Harvey Elliott, who's going to be a Liverpool player for a long time. You know, that Curtis kind Jones, of crop of yeah. players. Curtis Jones, Nico Williams. I mean, the, the list goes on. What's going to to cause Gerard to come in uh, to take over a, a plan if they have one or don't? Now, I'm assuming they will have a plan, and I'm assuming they already do have a plan somewhat in the works for when Klopp wants to leave. Uh, and by that, I mean vague. Uh, and by that, I mean probably Pochettino, to be honest, because um, he's still out of a job. But like you said, he... There might have to be a manager to fail to bring in Gerard for it to be okay. You've seen it with Lampard and you've seen it with Solskjaer. So it definitely wouldn't be too far off the course there. Yeah, I agree. Um, but we're gonna move into we're gonna move past Rangers. Well, I know that was that was very <laughs> difficult, and I thank you for that. We're gonna move into our, our last few things here. And I just wanted to touch on the relegation battle in the Premier League with you, Will, because Brighton and sixteenth are on six points. And in 17th, or Fulham on four points. Now, for those that watch the Premier League, you will know that Brighton and Fulham has a massive class in difference. Now, Fulham is in 17th on four points. West Brom's in 18th on three points with three draws. Burnley is on two points with two draws. And Sheffield are on one point with one draw. Now, it's about a quarter way through the season in the Prem. But this is the time where you start to see the changes made. After, Excuse me. You start to see some some changes made and some crack in the in the shields when that first international break comes up. You've seen uh, managers come and go during the few days of international breaks, and and you've started to see it, like we've said, with Joe Gomez and some players. It starts to take a little toll there. What is going to happen, Will, with these Fulham's, West Ham's, Brighton, Sheffield's, whoever it may be? You have Newcastle in thirteenth and West Ham in twelfth, uh, United in fourteenth, Leeds in fifteenth. Those teams hopefully and definitely not going to be staying there. But last year, West Ham and Newcastle were teams where it went down to the last few days. You're seeing teams like like Palace in 8th and Aston Villa in 6th. In, in There's not really a guarantee here, Will, like we've seen in the past few years with Norwich, uh, Norwich QPR, this, that, and the other. That's a certain definite. Now, do you, is there a certain definite here, Will, and we're just not seeing it yet? It's still too early. Or is there going to be a, a late dark horse here for relegation? You know, I think this is just an odd season. I think we have to chalk a lot of this up to a short preseason, a very long end of the last season. Um, you know, a lot of these teams were competing uh, up until August, um, and you got you got to look and think what's out there to bring in. I think. Fulham and Scotty Parker are under the biggest microscope um, just because of the, the mood after all these defeats. Uh, it looks doom and gloom from an from outside perspective. Scotty Parker looks like a guy in the headlights a little bit. Um, but at the same time, he did a really good job picking up Lampard's pieces and bringing them up at the time of asking. What, what's out there for him? 
you know, Big Sam. Uh, it's probably too early to bring in a Big Sam. He's he's a he's a last ditch effort. Um, yep. Pochettino. He's your security, but he's he's your get out of jail free card, Big Sam. At this point, right. he he doesn't do much for you, but he gets you out of it. Right. And Pochettino, he's not looking for a for a complete. He's new project, too good. Right. He's looking to. Step he shouldn't in. even he shouldn't even be in the realms of possibilities. Right. Um, I think West Ham are fine. I think David Moyes is doing an okay job. They're getting streaky, just as West Ham typically does. I think Newcastle's fine. I think they're they're totally. Steve Bruce has done well with them. Yeah. He's he's gotten to he's been able to manage his players, which yeah. is funny for Steve Bruce. And and it's been a lackluster group of players. I think he's done fantastic with what they have there. Um, they're kind of like a misfit toy group there. Yeah, exactly. So at Newcastle, you could argue the same for West Ham. Um, but I think, I think the teams like Sheffield United. How long do you be loyal to your coach who has brought you through the slums of, of English football all the way you up to the You saw it with Eddie Howe, and you saw it with Eddie Howe. At some point, you have to you have to break the the commitment. But now Bournemouth are still in the same position that they would have been if they would have kept Eddie Howe. So what what kind of risks do you take in that? I think West Brom has a very good manager, a proven manager. Uh, I think Leeds will stick with Bielsa for as long as, as he wants. He's, as he's breathing. He's changed, <laughs> yeah, he's changed the entire outlook of football there. Um, but I will say, I think Fulham and Burnley are my two to really watch what happens with the coaching staff. Uh, there's not a lot of, I think there's there's love lost if you, if you ask Scotty Parker, a former player, or club legend. But, I don't think it's the same kind of love strings attached to, to a team like Sheffield United. It's not the same love strings as a Bielsa or or even a Solskjaer at United. Let's not leave him out of the realm. I think he's probably odds-on right now to get to get the sack if, if this form yeah. continues. So I think there's a lot of a lot of strings attached to all these teams and coaches, but I think the first one that would go would be a Burnley or a Fulham. Yeah, and, and I'll kind of wrap it up here with my... I don't want to say prediction. Uh, I'm going to go along the route of if I had to put my money on it, um, I would probably uh, the I'll give two like you did. I'm going to say West Brom and Fulham, and I don't really want to be cliche in picking two teams that just got promoted, but there really isn't much there from both of them. And West Brom was only given twenty million pounds to work with, and at that rate, you might as well not even just come up. Right. So you might as well just have nine months you know, off. Yeah, so, you know, we'll we'll wait and see there. I'm excited to see some international games this week and, and then the Premier League returning in a week or two here. But, Will, uh, that's going to wrap it up for our episode this week. Uh, you can follow us at The Small Baller on Twitter. Leave us comments uh, if there's anything you want us to talk about. Most definitely, you know, drop it down below. We'll definitely be reading them, and, and we'll most likely talk about it. Uh, follow us on whatever podcast platform uh, you listen to, Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. But with that, Will, uh, that's, that's been our episode today, guys. Thank you so much for listening, uh, and we'll be back next week. We'll see you.